Good afternoon, folks. Saturday afternoon here again, and you know what time that is. That's time for the elephant in the room here on WJAS 1320 AM and 99.1 FM. We're also on podcast here. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, uh, and uh, Amazon Music out there. So, hey, there's a lot of ways to listen to us. I I appreciate you tuning in, and hey, we're going to have a great show today. Now, it is going to be a little bit different because usually... Yeah, I always talk about my executive director, Robin, and my Batman, John Schneider. Daryl is not with us today. John is at the beach. Does this He's mean, enjoying so well-deserved time off. Does this, does this mean you actually uh, get a word in? Oh, yes. <laughs> a- 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 absolutely. Finally, you know, finally, you get to talk. Oh, my gosh. Poor, yeah, John does fill up that airspace. He really, he really does. He does all work the room. <laughs> you know? So, But we also, we do have, and you just heard from him there a minute ago, our producer, Dazzling Daryl Grandy. Today, I, I do talk from time to time of the station, so... Uh. <laughs> yes, you do, and you're going to talk a lot more on this show. <laughs> yeah, right. As we're going to talk about some of the issues facing Allegheny County, and we're going to talk about... Uh, I'm going to give folks a county council update oh. so they understand a little bit about what's on the agenda and what's been happening recently down on Grant Street, because the, I think sometimes it gets lost. This Well, it gets lost, and it gets lost a couple things. I mean, on this show... You come at this from 99% of the time. I mean, I'm in the room, no pun intended, every time you guys record. So I hear it. You guys are coming from that from the show from the standpoint of what's happening across the street. The category, the RCAC, uh, you know, Republican Community of Allegheny County, and your role as chairman and John's role as executive director. You haven't talked too much about your role as, as county council as, mu- as much. No, right. And that's because what we've tried to do is previously we've been trying to give others an audience sure. to be able to speak to our listeners and introduce to them you know, who they are, why they're running, for whatever position it may be, right. what their positions are. You know, Again, just trying to help inform to bo- to and boost educate the, the public. To yeah. boost the signal in a long-form way, and as you said, you know, the, when, when you hear the people who talk, the, the, the Joe Rockies of the world who talk, more often than not, it's in sound bites, right? It's in, it's in the little clip you hear on the news and, and or, or TV and radio. This show gives them a platform to do that, and now we give you a platform. Well, I I, I appreciate it, and hey, but you know, just going back just a second ago, it was like a segue there. Sure, you talked about Joe Rocky. Joe Rocky will be our guest next week. Great, again on the show. So we'll be looking forward to that. It, he is a very impressive candidate, and and, and you know, we, following along, you know, I've been a lifelong Allegheny County resident, so I mean, that position is very important, especially in the past 23 years in which it has been consolidated into one person, be it Roddy, be it Honorado, be it Fitzgerald. And now mm-hmm. with, with Rich's term coming up, that you know that legacy is wide open. And, and of course, we've, we've talked about Rocky here and, uh, and uh, you know, with uh, Sarah Emirato on the other side. Uh, it, it's going to be very interesting, interesting to see. And, and it's definitely a, a, a tale of two different cities, to say the least. Well, you you're, couldn't be more correct, okay? And, and that's what makes this that much more interesting, all right? Because what we have here is we've had the three past previous county executives since we went to this new form of government back in 1999. Sure. So 2000 was the first year. But when we did this, um, the three county executives have mostly governed from the center. Right. These are people who've acted pragmatically and run the county as an executive you don't like a business. Right. And, that, and that's a different animal entirely because that is exactly it. And when you think of the three people involved, you know, Roddy comes from an extensive business lineage, as does Honorado, as does Rich Fitzgerald. So 
that does tend to lend itself to somebody with that kind of mind, somebody who is who has made a payroll, somebody who has done hiring and done different uh, you know project management and other different elements of what a business would entail. That person would be better suited for that role. No, a- absolutely, and and you know we talk about the two candidates that are running today. You know, you have Sarah Inamorato, who's the nominee on the Democratic side. You know, and Sarah is, I've had the opportunity to meet her numerous times. Sure. You know, on a personal basis. And is a very nice and pleasant young lady. Sure. Okay. Uh, but I couldn't disagree with her more in regards to her ideas. Right. Okay. Uh, which, which, she, is, which is the more germane element to the job in question. Exactly. I you're, mean, not, you're, not sharing, you're not sharing a drink with her. You're, you're, you're running a county. You're overseeing the best interest of Allegheny County. Right. And see, she's in her third term is a state representative, which is a legislature, where you're part of a body of 203. So you have the ability to just, you know, weigh in or focus in on a particular piece of legislation you may be interested in, yeah. as well as you have a very small staff, four or five, that focuses on constituent services back in the district. <clears throat> but that's vastly different, you know, than the role of a county executive, where you're overseeing a bureaucracy, which has potentially 7,000 employees sure. and has a budget of over $3.015 billion. And that's where Joe Rocky is the former chief risk officer at PNC, you know, has that experience because, you know, when they bought national city bank, you know, he was involved in, in, in taking and moving and bringing this on board. When they bought a bank out of Maryland and Baltimore, sure. he was involved. They, you know, they, they taken, they assigned Joe to work with these entities to help integrate them. Right. And bring them on board. So here's a guy that's managed thousands of employees successfully in the past. And, and the growth belies that. I mean, it, during the time he's been there, PNC has, has grown from, you know, air quotes, Pittsburgh National to PNC, one of the, you know, top 10, I don't know where they rank anymore, top 10 banking institutions in the country. Yes, absolutely. One of the top financial services uh, groups there. So, you know, we have that. And, uh, you know, he has, having managed over 7,000 employees, having managed that type of budget, this job isn't too big for him. He's actually proven sure. to be very successful at it. Okay, <clears throat> but what we're coming up against is uh, you're coming against up against this registration disadvantage, where Democrats right. uh, basically have a two to one registration advantage. Democrats to Republicans in the county. So, what's important, I think, for folks is to recognize, and I want to use this term here. I'm calling this election really uh, an inflection point sure. election. Because an inflection point is basically it's a moment when significant change occurs or may occur. Right. And we have an opportunity here to move this county forward or to set this county back significantly. Now, different folks may quibble with what moving it forward or setting it back means. Uh, It was recently reported in the past few months that Allegheny County lost 50,000 jobs over the last five years that they had a population loss of 12,000 individuals, okay? Um, so the question is, well, you know, how do, we, how do we take and grow our county, and how do we take and increase the number of jobs here? And I believe, you know, one candidate has a much better plan, that being Mr. Rockies, who says that he'll go and meet with 100 different companies in the first year as county executive, to talk to them about moving here, bringing their, you know, businesses here and creating jobs here. Because that's what he has done. That's what he's done at PNC. I mean, it it requires 
it, it requires capability. And, I, and, and to be honest, I don't know, you know Sarah Inmarada better than I do. I mean, I don't know her capabilities in terms of negotiation, in terms of diplomacy, in terms of being able to uh, overcome the objections that the other party might have for this process. Well, well I, yes, and, and neither do I or neither do any of the <clears throat> the folks or the people that will be going to the polls. Sure. You're here in November because she's never had the opportunity or been asked to exhibit those. Okay. So you have somebody who's entirely inexperienced and then somebody who's very experienced. And I would say, you know, when you're trying to put your future in someone's hands, I mean, hey, Daryl, whether you were on trial for your life, Mm -hmm. whether you had to go in for a heart or brain operation, you know, or any of these things, or you you had to cross a bridge that needed to be built. I mean, in all of these, you would want the best and most qualified attorney doctor, you know, surgeon, you know, or engineer right. to be the ones doing this. And I think it's no different here when we look at who do we want to steer the ship of state or the ship of the county. Sure. And, and you said, I mean, the role is county executive. It's more of an executorial role where you are leading the quote unquote business of Allegheny County. I mean, we, there's, there's tends, tends to be a parallel with the mayor's office and the mayor can be sort of a more personal a personalized position, right? I mean, if, if, if my trash is to be taken out, I'll call the mayor. The mayor can you know, deploy resources. But this is different. This is this is taking the county as a whole and what the county can do to serve not just Pittsburgh, but the entire constituency. And there's a vast variance within that constituency. Well, no, absolutely. I mean, I mean, you, the first of all, the budget of the county is over five times larger than the budget of the city. Sure. Okay. The employees, again, significantly larger. Uh, the city doesn't have anything like a human services department, you know, where we take and provide many of the assistance to folks, whether it be mental illness, drug abuse, um, you know, uh, children and youth services, all, all the other things that we do, sure. you know, under the uh, human services banner, okay? That, that budget alone is over a billion dollars, right? Yeah. So uh, it, it, the county is vastly larger and vastly different, and that's why we need to have someone you know, uh, the best qualified individual here. And that's why I think this election can't be looked at as a Democrat versus Republican election or Republican versus Democrat. But it needs to be viewed through the prism of there are two people running for this seat. Who's best qualified for this job? Right, exactly. And if you're hiring someone, let's hire the best qualified person for the job, you that's know, it. instead of instead of doing what, so many have done for so long, which is what's got us in trouble in Harrisburg or in Washington. Sure. Where people just go and vote for their team. Right. And that's exactly what it is. It's, it's their team. And, and, and the candidates, by and large, you know, for most anything, we saw this play out in the last election, they'll play to their base. They'll, they'll prove why I'm on this team. Here's why I'm on this team. Here's the things I'm, I'm supposed to say on this team. Here's why I'm on this team. Here's why I'm here. My be, here's my behavior on this team, mm-hmm. and not necessarily in the best interest of the people you're representing, or even to read the room and see. Yes, I'm on this team, but will being on this team get me where I need to be in November? Well, and, yeah, you're spot on there, and I think, and this is where the silent majority comes in. Okay. And as we talk about some of these other issues here, as I give folks a county update, um, you'll understand more what I mean by that. 
But, you know, there's that old saying, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Sure. Well, sometimes what happens is you have a small but vocal minority, you know, that speak up or lobby for something, and they're the ones that get the attention. Yes. And then sometimes they're the ones that get what they're seeking. And we saw in this past primary only 7%, again, 7% of the registered voters in Allegheny County voted for Sarah Inamorato. Wow. Wow. Even 62, almost 63% of the Democrats who cast a vote in the primary for the county executive voted for another candidate. Yeah. Okay. So that's why it's important for every person in Allegheny County to come out and vote in November and look at this. It's like a job interview. Sure. Again, when you sit the two candidates down and you weigh out their qualifications, It'll become clear who the best candidate is. And, I mean, I believe that's Joe Rocky, and I can walk folks through, you know, the different positions and why I believe that's that's the case. Do you think it would be a different story if whoever come whoever would have come out of the Democratic side had taken command of that rather than be the, le- the, the highest of the smaller tiers? If, if, somebody, if somebody had a 60 or 70 percent win with all the votes. Yeah, there's no doubt that that would have been the case. If um if if there had been a more moderate sure you know Democrat that had emerged, it would make Mr. Rocky's um, campaign more difficult. Sure. Okay. And, but that's also what makes this such a contrast, and why I call it an inflection point. Yeah, it's very important. You know, I've always joked, and Daryl, you've probably heard this before too, that you know Pittsburgh is always a couple years behind. Oh yeah. Everywhere else. Oh you know, yeah. And, and typically, we refer to that in culture. So, whether it be fashion, or music, or something else, sure. you know, the fads hit Pittsburgh a few years later than they've hit New York or out in California in the coast. Right. Okay. Uh, and what I'm trying to do is trying to take and educate our listeners that the same thing happens in many ways with public policy. Mm, okay. And what you see are progressives who only make up less than a third of the Democratic Party, but who are in control because that's where the energy is there. Sure. Trying minority. to institute policies that are failing everywhere else they've been tried. Right, right. Okay? And that's part of the contrast that we want to talk about or I want to make here or that Mr. Rocky needs to make if he's to be successful in November. Okay? Um, <laughs> where this ties in, to our conversation about county council. Is it one of the big things? Last week, uh, Thursday, June 15th, county council had a public hearing because it had been announced that Allegheny County Human Services was going to close the Smithfield shelter on Smithfield Street. Yes. Yeah, which is currently open, a low barrier shelter for homeless people. And so we had approximately 79 people sign up to speak. You know, and I sat through a five and a half hour meeting mm. hearing mm. from many folks on different sides. Okay. You had business owners who were talking about some of the problems that they were experiencing in down there in downtown sure. who were in favor of the shelter closing. You had a number of property owners and, you know, homeowners who lived downtown who brought to light some of the issues or challenges and talked about why they needed and why they believe the shelter need to be closed. And again, when we say closed, 
we're not talking about putting people on the street. Right. We're talking about finding them beds in you know any of the other eighteen shelters. Sure. That the Allegheny County contracts with for human services. Yeah, doing to it provide a, those. Doing it in a proper and humane way. Exactly. Okay. And having our human services and other outreach teams work with them. We heard from the Pittsburgh Downtown Partnership, you know, who was in favor of the closing of the shelter. We heard from Visit Pittsburgh, you know, the region's tourism agency who was in favor of closing the shelter. And we heard from um, the Allegheny Conference who was in favor of closing the shelter. We actually heard from the chief operating officer of the city of Pittsburgh, Lisa Frank, who upon questioning, I was able to get that, you know, very difficult to sure. pull it out. Oh, but, sure. But yes, they understand that the shelter needs to be closed as well. Because optically, that could be read very wrong. It, it, the idea, and as you said, the, the clarifying what closing the shelter means. If you, I'm sure, if you pull the average person on the street, oh, they're going to close the shelter. Oh, you mean they're going to kill? There, these people are going to be on the street again? You know, and and you have to clarify what that what that process entails, which takes a step that a lot of people may not necessarily want to or can process. But so optically. When you say, I want to close the shelter, that could play kind of iffy to a certain group of people. And see, and that's what happens, okay? One of the uh, more liberal or more hardcore left progressive council members was actually giving out sandwiches to get people from the shelter and folks to attend. Mm. Okay? She was handing them out in the courtyard Hmm. right prior Hmm. to the hearing. Uh, Then you had a number of folks, you had a lot of folks who spoke wanting the shelter to remain open. Many of them don't live downtown. Right, right. Many of them don't work downtown or have businesses downtown. They context, yeah. I, I want to give folks, you know, who don't go downtown on a regular basis or haven't been down in a while or don't work there an idea of what some of the challenges they've had. I mean, this, with Daryl, yes. just this past Wednesday, you know, I follow a Pittsburgh scanner, okay, uh, which is a, 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 a Twitter account. But okay. I was talking about downtown 211 Forbes Avenue, the Chipotle Mexican Grill, opening shift employees found that feces was smeared on the windows overnight. Okay, fire department being dispatched for washdown, but the fire department declined the call, stating it's the property owner's responsibility. Downtown 801 Liberty Avenue, coffee shop, crazy mocha, a male is urinating in the store. Okay. Uh, I have testimony from... The Embassy Suites. Yes, yeah. Their general manager came down. And, folks, I want to read this to you, but this will give you an idea what these folks are dealing with in our downtown uh, business district. As a representative of the hotel, I would like to voice my my voice heard as to the reasons I want the shelter to close. When COVID began, this is when we started to see higher activity of the unhoused on the streets. We were with limited staff, and it was challenging enough to stay open, let alone police our areas. At times, the unhoused would be found sleeping on the second floor meeting space where they also urinated and defecated in our foyer. Mm-hmm. Staff would find individuals in our restrooms on the 25th floor bathing or using drugs. We even had one person found with a needle still in their arm laying on the floor of the restroom. Another person jumped into our swimming pool with all their clothes on so they could get a bath. Mm-hmm. Over the past few years, I personally have witnessed overdoses, urinating, defecating, fornication, and drug use. Our staff is afraid to work at night. Our guests are afraid as well. The unhoused have thrown bottles and cans at cars pulling into our valet lane, and they aggressively panhandle our guests. They want to thank, as it says, I would like to thank the officers of Zone 2, as I've had to call them for extra patrols during events because our guests are fearful. With the addition of AHN Outreach Center across from the hotel, it has increased the presence of trash buildup, individuals sleeping on the sidewalk, unwanted activity, 
more overdoses, and an appearance of we are, in quotes, just like Portland, <laughs> according to a guest that stayed this week. This has put extreme pressure on the staff and a financial burden to the hotel. The lost business we have incurred and the damage from social media reviews and word of mouth has been detrimental. Let me read some current guest comments and online reviews. I did not feel safe while in the lobby or in front of the hotel. There were a lot of scary people hanging out in front of the hotel, entering the lobby area. I was approached a half of a block from your hotel by a very forceful person and demanding money. People near me from my group spotted the assault and intervened to drive the guy away. I would not recommend your hotel for future stays based upon the urine and feces on the sidewalks. Filthy surroundings with people lying in several doorways of surrounding businesses. Another comment. Too many aggressive unhoused people right outside the doors. Mellon Square Park right across the street from the hotel is definitely not a desirable place to visit. I've been in other downtown locations in different cities, but it seems that the people near the hotel in Pittsburgh cannot take no for an answer. Another quote. Very uncomfortable and unsafe experience. I would not recommend this hotel. Another quote. People should be warned there is a large contingent of unhoused and drug users directly outside of the hotel. It made walking worrisome. In closing, I would like to say that while we have empathy for the unhoused, a shelter in the Central Business District is not the answer. The Embassy Suites brand is focused on families. They have families witnessing these activities on a daily basis, and they ask, how would you feel if you were unloading your car to stay at a hotel only to be harassed for money and witness drug use while your kids are afraid to exit the car? The situation on Smithville Street drives away business not only from the hotel but from the city. This matter needs immediate attention before more businesses leave the city and visitors stop visiting. Now, I want to be clear that every homeless person or unhoused person does not participate no. in that type of activity. No, no. Okay? But the Smithfield Street Shelter, is it is a low-barrier shelter, doesn't ask for any ID, and I'll get to why that's important in a moment, sure. and doesn't do or say anything or have any um, requirements regarding drugs. So what you have, basically, you know, when these people are coming into this shelter or coming out, you have open-air drug markets. Yeah. And folks downtown will talk about having to walk and step over syringes and everything else while you have drug dealers preying, you know, on these people. So, you know, I am very compassionate and sympathetic uh, to the need to be able to provide folks shelter, but it doesn't have to be in the middle of our central business district where this type of behavior is taking place. And it, it, what it boils down to is that elected officials are refusing to have law enforcement enforce the existing ordinances. Sure. You know, yeah, you're not trying to criminalize homelessness, but somebody that's defecating or urinating in the middle of the street or, you know, taking drugs or buying drugs or selling drugs should be arrested. And th this letter, it touches on it touched on in passing, this kind of did tick up when COVID began. I mean, maybe there's not a direct correlation from one to the other, but around that, that same time, if you haven't been downtown in four or five years, there might be a culture shock if you go down there tomorrow. Oh, you, you, people would be absolutely flabbergasted at the shock if they went down there. And, you know, one of the reasons sort of trying to tie all this together is I talked earlier about how we're always a couple years behind. Sure. You know, California, who's been dealing with this problems for years, is now recognizing that the extent of the problem and that you need to do something about it. And a couple of actions were taking place. Uh, when we talk about how this thing started a number of years ago, it's important to know this started under Mayor Bill Peduto. Sure. 
You know, and he created an environment that made it so permissive for folks to come here and to, to, to be here and to panhandle and all these different things that it's become a destination city. San Francisco, sure. let me give you some things. Last month, San Francisco started arresting drug users, okay? 95% of them were from out of town. That would be a destination 90, city. Exactly, 95%. And we'll second segment, we'll talk more about that. And then just last week, <laughs> San Diego City Council passed a controversial homeless encampment ban because they understand, they saw what happened to San Francisco and how the tourism industry was completely crushed and how business was crushed and the stores that are leaving, and they're trying to prevent that. You know, uh, There are things that we need to do here. What I don't understand and the message to our listeners and that they should take to their friends or you know, uh, co-workers, parishioners, family members, is why do we have to suffer through years of what these bad policies will bring sure. before we wake up and do what's necessary and what these other much more liberal and progressive groups are finally realizing right. that those policies don't work. And see, that's that's the inflection point here because Joe Rocky understands what needs to be done. Sarah Inamorato is parroting these failed liberal policies that we're seeing fail sure. all across this country. And that's why this election is so important and why I've called it an inflection point here because the future of Allegheny County is going to be determined by what happens here in November and who we elect to be our next county executive. Folks, we have to pay the bills here, so I'm going to take a break. We'll be right back with the second segment. This is Sam DeMarco, the elephant in the room on WJAS 1320 AM. Folks, welcome back to The Elephant in the Room on WJAS 1320 AM. This is your host, Sam DeMarco. I'm here having a conversation with our producer, Daryl Grandy. In our first segment, we were talking about uh, how this uh, upcoming election in November is going to be an inflection point. And we started to talk about, you know, one particular issue, which is front and center in the news here recently, which is the closing of the Smithfield Shelter downtown and what it's in, in providing some feedback that we've received from some of the business owners and property owners there. And, and Daryl, you know, when I talked about that hearing and all those people that signed up, one of the things that was amazing to me to just watch sure. is the number of people who were for keeping this shelter open, uh, you know, act all tough. Oh, right, okay? right. Okay. While they're standing there telling people and saying this, I don't give a damn or an S or an F hmm. about the business owner's rights. I don't hmm. give a about the property owner's rights. But the people in the shelter, they have human rights. We need to respect theirs. Right, it's like, right. You know, how, again, yeah, that, that, how and that, does that's, this that's, work? A, that's a disconnect. That, yeah. that, that's a fundamental disconnect of not being able to see the big picture of something. I mean, yes, two, yes we all have a, a, a place in our heart, in our conscious, in our soul for the quote-unquote human rights. We all have that. We all want the, the everybody... Everybody, our fellow man, to have the best life that he or she could possibly have in that regard. But human rights exist within a bigger system, uh, and and that system does include businesses because who else is going to employ the humans? Well, what these folks and, and, and the economic system as well. Well, what these folks fail to understand is while they 
you know, want us to feel sorry and to want to be helpful. And sure. we do for people who find themselves homeless through circumstances not of their own making. Sure. Okay. They are certainly willing to perpetuate it or to increase it because if a business downtown goes bust, yep. those employees that work there lose their jobs. Right. And they lose their ability to feed their family right. and to provide shelter over their heads. So what about those humans? You, 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 you want to go to war for these humans over here, the ones that are in the shelter. What about those humans? Exactly. And as soon as that business goes under, which will happen if this keeps up, what happens to those humans? They're human rights. Yeah. And then and then, you know, um you know, folks complain about our corporate citizens, you know, our large corporations. Sure. Uh these folks stepped up. You know, AH excuse me, AHN, UPMC and PNC got together and built a shelter. Yes. World class called Second Avenue Commons, in which UPMC provides free has a free health care clinic there. Sure. For the folks that come in there, and the county is there with wraparound services to try to help people that are suffering from mental illness and things like that. <clears throat> but a lot of these folks don't want to go there. It was almost like there was a rivalry. And I think the sad thing about this is that the help that's being provided, meaning the Smithville Street Shelter, sure. seems to maintain the unhoused in that particular that lifestyle, which includes drug and alcohol abuse. So we're putting a roof over their heads, but nothing inside their heads in terms of learning right. self-sufficiency or helping lift them out of that situation. Teaching a person to fish versus, uh, you know, yeah. or giving, a, giving a fish versus and, and, teaching, and teaching a fish. And when I say, when I call them beds there, right. they're, no, they're yoga mats on the floor, <laughs> okay? Right. And so folks may say, well, that's better than on the street. And, but I believe that we have other, we have real beds that are available at real shelters. Sure you know, throughout this county. And that's where I think these people need to be directed. And I think, can we always do a better job? And I say this now as an elected official with the county in trying to take and provide help from a services standpoint for folks suffering from mental illness, from folks suffering from substance abuse, from folks suffering from alcohol abuse. Absolutely. Sure. And that's what we need to strive to do. We need to be able <clears throat> to take and spend a little bit more time during a triage process to be able to understand who are the folks who could benefit the quickest from the services that we can provide right. and try to direct them to those so that they can get those and then we can help them find housing so that they don't have to be, you know, on the street. Right. You know, I think we spend about $23 million a year here now, mm. you know, and, and that's dwarfed by what you see folks in California spending. Oh, and sure. I think, I think I saw uh, <clears throat> San Diego just passed in when they passed their ban on tent encampments and things like that, they took and increased the amount of spending that they have to $83 million a year. So you can't spend your way out of this mess. No. You also can't arrest your way out of this mess. And I believe we do have a responsibility to provide a safety net and care for our fellow man. But that's also where I believe that we have to enforce our ordinances because I don't, you know, we don't have the resources right. to be able to take and help the entire world. And I know many of the folks, the bleeding hearts will decry that, but um, I want to take care of the people that are here. Yeah. And I'm afraid that, you know, I've been told that we're going to see an increasing influx of homeless here moving up from the south as the heat becomes more impressive there. As the destination They're city. going to move up here. And as long as they are, they feel that they're unencumbered 
to, to get drugs and to participate in these open-air drug markets and things like that, things are only going to get worse. And as we heard from many of the folks who live downtown, the residents downtown and the business owners, that's not a sustainable policy. And the in going to back, back to what you said in the first half of the, of the show last segment, this is part of what moves the county forward, right? It's not it's one thing to put build a a shelter like the Smithfield Street the Smithfield shelter that kind of sort of maybe puts a band-aid on the situation. It's another thing to incorporate this into the infrastructure that's already there, make something put something in place that feeds into what is already in place in the county where you can sort of you know include this into the plan moving forward and make this not not its own special thing that just you know puts a, a, a band-aid on the problem and then you know deal with it when that band-aid breaks make it something that's part of the sustainable future of the of the county as the problem is being addressed well, what people need to understand and uh, by people I'm referring to our listeners who may not know anything about this, this uh, situation sure. or this issue is that uh, the county's been contracting with the church there to provide a seasonal shelter sure. since 2006. Sure. Okay, for the last 17 years. So um, it was always a seasonal shelter that opened in like November and closed like at the end of March. When it made sense. Right, because it wasn't equipped from a, to be able to be a full fledged shelter facility. They yeah. don't provide any any other wraparound services at all. Sure. Okay, it's just a place to get out of the weather or out of the elements, you know, at night. <clears throat> so the decision was made, and, then, and we contracted with all those folks before we had the Second Avenue Commons sure. downtown. So they built this state-of-the-art, world-class facility to be able to take and accommodate the challenge we had downtown. It's just now, because of the permissive environment, the failure to push back and do anything about the people that are taking the drugs or selling the drugs or urinating and defecating on the street or right. aggressively panhandling or, you know, committing crimes, okay, <clears throat> um, folks are flocking to that. Sure. You know, and they, again, it, this isn't rocket science. As soon as you start cracking down on those ordinances, word will get around. Those yeah. people will stop coming here. Things will get better. Yeah, and that, again, as part of the infrastructure. The infrastructure in place is, okay, if you break that law, this will happen to you. That's just right. the infrastructure that is the law. And, and enforcement of that law, while challenging, I mean, it's not the easiest thing in the world to be able to 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 enforce this kind of situation. Mm-hmm. It will be. It will go a long way, as you said, to towards you know mitigating it, if nothing else. Right, well, and I, look, and the, the thing is, we want to improve everyone's quality of life. Right. Okay, if you're in a house and we can provide you a bed at a shelter that can provide wraparound services versus just sleeping, that's improving your quality of life. Sure. If we can take and remove, you know, the outdoor, the, you know, public defecation, fornication, urination, the aggressive paneling and all that for the middle of our central business district, that improves the quality of life. Right. For our business owners and customers, the clients of the business owners and the property owners, the residents of the, uh, of, of the, the city. So... You know, it, it, this is a way to help everyone, but this is something where you see a distinct difference, yes. you know, between somebody who's an executive and looks to say, hey, what are the best practices? Yeah. Where can I see? What do I see when I can look to other jurisdictions and see what have they tried? Right. What works and what doesn't work? Okay. And then trying to implement a best practice that will improve the situation instead of just coming in, you know, with the bleeding heart and say, well, I'll, 
I'll keep the shelter open forever, okay? And, and tying, <clears throat> tying this to the, the county executive race, I mean, Joe Rocky was a part of the Second Avenue Commons development, correct? That was a, his, a, that a, was a pretty that, integral. That was the last project he yeah, worked on. A pretty integral DMC. part of it, right. Right, and he's also on the board of uh, St. Joseph's Hospitality, sure. which is a faith-based shelter, not part of the ones with the human services, but has beds for 60 individuals, 60 men that could sleep there you know, overnight. So <laughs> there's a lot of things out there. Yeah. There are opportunities for help. But if we're not going to solve some of these problems, we're never going to have uh, enough resources, you know, if we're yeah. not trying to reduce the size of the problem. So that's that's the one big thing that was happening at county council. Uh, the other big thing that happened was uh, this past Tuesday, okay. county council overrode a veto oh. of a minimum wage bill that they had passed previously that was vetoed by County Executive Rich Fitzgerald. Now, uh, when this system of government came into being back in 1999, uh, you had, it was envisioned that you would have a strong county executive. Yes. You know, and then you had a legislative body. But the legislative body was made up of 15 county council members, but it's a part-time role. Right. And you had limited responsibilities. Those responsibilities included levying all taxes and fees, uh, passing legislation initiated by the county executive, members of council, or citizens through referendum, and overseeing county real estate and passing an operating capital budget. Okay? Right. That's it. (laughs) But members of council here today were trying to take it upon themselves to usurp some of the power that I believe was granted the county executive and pass a minimum wage bill. Now, this is why this is important. This is why the right and Republicans seem to lose often, okay? Sure. Because we fail to capture the language the battle of the language. Right. So, you know, you hear these, the proponents of this, we're talking about living wages, minimum wages. So, folks, for you to understand what happened was one of the council members, again, uh, the bomb thrower, put up a bill to take and increase county workers' wages to a minimum of $20 an hour. Now, the current wage, minimum wage in the city, or excuse me, in the state, is seven twenty-five an hour, but right. no one pays that. No, because you can't get employees. Yeah, that, okay? that, that's not competitive in the actual free market. Right. And, and starting next year, January first of twenty twenty-four, <laughs> no county employee will make less than eighteen dollars an hour. Wow. Okay. But that wasn't enough for these folks. They wanted to make it twenty dollars an hour, and they didn't, and it wasn't enough just for full-time employees. They wanted they included seasonal and part-time employees. So the high school kid. Wow. They're taking man's the snack bar right. at the golf course or whatever, or the cashier that just sits there in the chair collecting your admission fee when you come into the wave pool. Right. Okay. Is going to get like a six dollar an hour raise. Yeah. And uh, you know it's fifty percent in some cases. Now, why is that a problem? It's a problem because something called wage compression. Right. You know this affects. You know maybe 1,200 total workers total, okay? We have 7,000 employees. So when you give these employees a $6 an hour increase, what's going to happen? All the other employees are going to want yep. an increase. Yep, because they, they see what's happening down the line. This bill alone, after it was uh, passed out of committee, the county executive issued a press release saying that this would require a $30 million tax increase, the largest in the history of this county government, okay? Uh, and that was one of the reasons why I chose not to support this, along with the other things. One, I think it violates the charter. Sure. Two, I believe it violates PA labor law. 
Three, the $30 million tax increase. And four, the seasonal and part-time employees right. taking them to $20 an hour. I mean, even the state legislature under Democrat control in a Democrat majority house only increased their minimum wage to $15 an hour. But again, wow. yeah. our left here, they had to take it to 20 So they passed and overrode uh, the county executive's veto. And now it's up in the air what he's going to choose to do about it. Uh, conjecture is that he may take this to court. And I actually would encourage that because I think yeah. with their overreach, I think it would be important for some sort of court to roll on what the boundaries of the duties of the county executive and county council are so that we know going forward for the next county executive, you know, what's within the purview of council, what's in the purview of the executive. And, you know, when I was talking earlier about when we went to this new form, this home rule form of government with one strong county executive and 15, you know, uh, county council members, it was just that county council members, not county commissioners. Right, okay? right. And the purpose of this, you hear folks talk all the time, well, we need to be a check and balance. Well, a check and balance acts when the county executive may be trying to do something that's to the detriment right. of the residents of the county or its employees or, or whatever, okay, when they're trying to do something bad. Right. Here, it's an attempt to micromanage and usurp his authority yeah. and to be able to interfere in the ability of the executive branch to set wages or negotiate wages with its employees. And for that reason, I believe a court will strike it down. But I think it's important for folks to understand and know what we're talking about here. Again, when I said we lose a lot on this, it's because this was framed not as I just described it and as I you know, you said in my comments at County Council. It was framed as living wage. Right. Talking about and, living wage. And, that, and, that, and talk yeah. about, you know, to raise a family and support a family. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You probably shouldn't be supporting a family if you're in high school. Yeah. You know, and working part-time at the snack bar. Yeah, that's not supporting okay. a family. Yeah. You know. That person, but, by and large, probably is not support, supporting a family. Right. Unquote. But when they use that type of language, right. how, how can folks be seem to be against things, yeah. right? And that's what they always Monster. try to do. Yeah. You know, it's always zero to 60. Right. Our, the city congressional member, Summer Lee, had a tweet last week. She, again, she always, I mean, that's all she does is tweet attacking Republicans. But she put something out that the bad, evil Republicans were preventing her, them in Congress from being able to pass a universal mandate for schools to provide three meals a day to all their students. Three? Three. Three, three free. Yeah, free. Right. Three. Three. They wanted breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> so I pushed school. back. I pushed back and said, no. Wow. You know, I said, these schools can't educate kids today. Yeah. And now you want to make them responsible for feeding them. Well, that opened up the the uh, Pandora's box of all the, you know, left-leaning nuts on Twitter. Right. Which was, you know, listen, I I take the insults. I laugh at this stuff anymore. Yeah. But, I you agree. know, I share with them that you know, the city of Pittsburgh, like only 18% of the kids were proficient in math. Only 30% were proficient in reading. Right. Maybe we should be focusing our attention on helping them get educated. Yeah. Okay. Instead of trying to usurp the family's responsibility and ask these kids to spend more time in school, you know, by taking and feeding them. I mean, we have a truancy problems today, you know, where you take and you see that many of the folks, what I've been told in Pittsburgh Public Schools, they don't even take uh, 
they don't even take attendance till like lunchtime. Really? Because yes, because, because all the truancy. Yep. <laughs> because yeah, because kids aren't there in the morning, right? So there's some real challenges out there. But again, the attack comes. What do I have against feeding kids? Right. And, that, and that, right? again, it's, well, it's, it's starving children. I'm like, hey, well, is everybody starving? Right. Can we not try to find the ones that need help and get them the help? <laughs> yeah. Instead drill, of drill down a little bit, yeah. mandating a universal program that spends tens of billions of dollars. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? And then I showed, I also showed them, again, this is, this is where it gets about control, folks. You know, you have right now, there is a culture war in this country between people who support what schools are doing in indoctrinating our children and people who don't, okay? And you have these folks who are proponents, this indoctrination, trying to claim that parents coming to school board meetings are domestic terrorists when you come and complain about the curriculum being forced down their children's throats, whether it's CRT, gender theory, or anything else. And now they want to take this, well, we'll provide the meals. But who could forget just a few years ago during the Obama administration, when Michelle Obama forced what was going to be contained in those meals mm-hmm. down the throats of schools throughout this country, and over a million kids gave up eating lunch right. because they didn't like the choices that were there. you know. So right. again, this is all about control. They want yeah. to spend more time with your kids to be able to push more of this stuff down their throats. Okay, They want to control what goes into their bodies. I mean, where, where does it stop? Right. But again, if you're against that, yeah, no, it's you want kids to starve. It's the battle of the language. It's a battle of language. It's a battle of perception. It's a battle of uh, of messaging. It's about, and that's the challenge that you know is definitely on the table when it comes to getting the point across. Even if it's more, the more rational point is to be able to put that in words that make the most sense to everybody, rather than you know go for the brain instead of the heart. Right. Well, you know, I think the one of the challenges here are that you know again conservatives, Republicans, typically, we're busy raising our family or earning a living, mm-hmm. okay? Right. We don't have these all these paid community groups that sit around and do nothing but try to come up with these ideas. Right. And, you know, focus group tests this stuff, and then it gets rolled out, and then they run with it. I mean, you just saw, I believe it was uh, Wednesday in Congress. In the Senate, they had a hearing, and it was about, uh, you know, transgender Youth and it was about women, excuse me, uh, biological men and sure. women's sports. And you had the head of this human rights group, you know, sitting there saying that there's not a definitive differ- difference between men and women when it comes to athletics. Mm. You know, when she was asked by Senator Kennedy and she said no, and she brought up, she brought up, I mean, she, she regrets it today, I'm sure, right. but she brought up the example of Serena Williams and Venus Williams. Right. And there's men out there, she said, I bet there's men out there that probably believe that they could beat them. And then Raleigh Gaines, who was testifying, sure. said, yeah, absolutely, and brought up the real-world case where they were both beaten back-to-back by a guy that was ranked 203rd. Mm, right, right. 203rd in the men, and he beat the top women in, in the world, okay? And we could see this. I mean, I at county council, uh, we had a debate about this a while back, and I brought up the case of Allison Felix. Allison Felix is the most decorated female track and field athlete in history. Multiple gold medals, world champions, everything else. But her 400-meter time was beaten by like 300 high school kids in Wisconsin. Sure. You know, just last year. (laughs) Okay? What does that tell you? I mean, when high school kids are beating female world record, when high school boys are beating female 
world record times. Right, right. Whether it be in swimming, whether it be in yeah. a track and field. I mean, there's a distinct difference there. And and when the left sits there and refuses to acknowledge it, it's like, really, what, what world right. are we living in? Okay. And I mean, they look at you and they lie with a straight face. And I, I mean, it's like, don't yeah. believe your lying eyes. You know, I, <laughs> I mean, I, folks, I'll leave it up to our listeners to decide where they're trying to take us. But it's certainly not a good place if we can't tell the truth. Right. So um, wanted to give you guys a heads up, touch on some of the issues that were just front and center on county council. <clears throat> Before we close, I want to bring up, uh, let's talk about property assessments uh, and a COR ratio. Anyone reading the news is aware probably that uh, the county, what happens is when you buy or sell a house, that transaction is taken and recorded down at the county real estate office. Those sales are then sent to the state board sure. where they issue a what they call a COR, common level ratio. And that's what's used to set the assessed values for properties bought after the last year we reassessed, which was 2012. Okay, <clears throat> So what happens is they believe that the county data, the mistakes were made, some folks said the county cooked the books, but there was a flaw, and people have been paying more in taxes than they should have been. So we on county council said that's absolutely unsatisfactory or unfair. We're going to do something about it. So we passed an ordinance that, that opened the window for property owners that had been affected to reappeal their assessment. Well, then what happened was now there are folks out there who had previously challenged this, their assessments, and then come to an agreement you know, in court at a rate that's higher than what this new COR is because they had been, they were negotiating off of bad information. Mm. So they reached out to the uh, property assessment board to request new hearings and were told no, that because they previously settled, they weren't going to get those hearings. Well, that's not right. That's unfair. And we're going to fix that. And we'll have that fixed here with uh, amendment to our legislation before we go on summer break here, nope. you know, mid-July. So look for that. We're probably going to introduce that bill or that amendment at the next meeting. It's going to be included at uh, there along with some, uh, a bill on a chief assessment officer to try to ensure that this never happens again. So, folks, you know, we, amidst all of the controversy, amidst all of the debate, we actually do try to get some good work done there you <laughs> right. know, on your behalf. And I uh, just wanted to give you some an update on that and let you know what's going on. Now, hey, as always... You know, we look at an hour show and we think, oh my gosh, how are we going to fill an hour? And then that hour goes by so quickly. Yeah. And then we're trying to figure out where the time went. Especially today when when you had when you said I was going to be helping you. I'm like, what the hell am I going to do? <laughs> Daryl, you've been invaluable here. You know, I, we had a couple guests, folks. Uh, like I said, our executive director, John Schneider, is on vacation, which he richly deserves. Hope he's enjoying himself at the shore and he has great weather. And uh, we had some guests previously scheduled, but uh, they're up in Harrisburg where they're tied up in house session mm. oh. and we're unable to make the call. So I hope you don't mind my trying to bring you up to date on what's happening at the county council. And I hope you don't mind Daryl Grandy, wow. our fabulous, dazzling producer, they, you know, weighing in as well. They get enough of me from Monday to Friday. So uh, <laughs> I, I enjoy the work of the six day of the week. So we're all good. Well, thank you, Daryl. I appreciate the help. Thank you, Sam, for and, the and opportunity. Folks, until next week, this is Sam DeMarco signing off for the Elephant in the Room. On WJAS 1320 AM and 99.1 FM Talk.